This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by HostGator, where you'll get 24-7 live support via chat, phone, email, one-click WordPress installs, easy-to-use website builder design services and marketing services like SEO and PPC, and for my listeners, a 30% discount. Go to HostGator.com slash promo slash duct tape. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is Rohit Bahagava. He is a trend curator, founder of the Influential Marketing Group and the author of five best-selling business books, including the one we're going to talk about today, Non-Obvious, How to Think Different, Curate Ideas, and Predict the Future. So Rohit, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Always a pleasure, John. So you have this book is actually you know the work of putting all of this you know previous couple years I suppose um, of doing this uh, um, into a published format. But but tell me a little bit about the history of the non obvious project, if we can call it that. Yeah, sure. It's been uh, you know so for me uh, for about the past five years, uh, every year I've been producing a report that features fifteen trends that I think are changing the way that people buy or sell uh, anything. Um, and so for me, it's sort of been the object of a lot of curated research across the entire year. And this year, what's different is that I decided in addition to just putting out a report sharing what I thought the 15 trends were based on the research, I also wanted to give people a little bit of insight on how they could use this way of thinking in their own business. So there's a big part of the book that talks about that as well. Yeah, because um, one of the things, and and I'm you have suggested this, so I'm going to to ask you to explain it. Um, you have suggested that a lot of, I mean, there are a lot of trend reports out there that come out every year from lots of different places, um, and you have suggested that your approach to finding what you're calling some of the non-obvious trends is more valuable than most of the other trend reports out there. You want to explain your thinking on that? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I focus on is uh, highly actionable trends. And so the way I describe a trend is that it's an observation about the accelerating present. Yeah. So it's based on something that's already kind of happening, but that we're not really paying attention to that much, but we should be. Yeah, yeah. You don't you don't necessarily sit around one day and think one of these things up. It's more a matter of either being involved in it and getting caught up in it, or uh, observing that uh, something is actually happening. Uh, um, you know that that as you said, you know, might be something worth paying attention to. Yeah, exactly right. You know, I think what ends up ends up happening with a lot of trends that you see out there is they're either so far out that they're basically guesswork. You know, like yeah. if I'm telling you what's going to happen in twenty thirty. Um, you know, it's basically a guess. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. the other thing that you see a lot with trend reports is like, you know, if I own a hammer company and I tell you that 2015 is the year of hammers, <laughs> obviously I'm telling you that because I want to sell more hammers. Right, right, right. Um, you yeah. know, and that's not necessarily accurate or unbiased either. Yeah, and then there's, of course, the... the um some of them, and we don't need to name names, but some of the uh, uh, media companies that put out reports that uh, that are very biased by whoever paid them to do the research. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I think that you know my big thing that I try and do with these trend reports, and also the way of thinking that I try to advise people to do is get outside of your industry and start to see the connections between different ideas from different organizations and, and doing very very different things. Yeah. 
So, so how, what is your methodology for finding some of these? Yeah, so uh, my method is uh, I, I sort of use an analogy to describe how I use curation. So it's based on curation, but the way I describe it is a lot of times we tend to think people who find trends are like people who can spot a needle in a haystack. Yeah. And what I do is I actually flip that model and say that I spend the entire year gathering up a lot of hay in the form of ideas, and then at the end of the year I stick my own needle in the middle of it and say that's what the trend is. And that's actually I actually called it the haystack method to kind of use that analogy, but the whole concept is, you know, I'm not just spotting something going by and saying, oh, there it is. You know, did you miss it or did you see yeah, it? Yeah. No, it's not that. It's actually taking the time to gather things together and then seeing the patterns that emerge between all of these different ideas that you've collected because you're actually becoming an idea collector yourself. W- would you say that, you know, there are definitely people out there um, by the aid of, uh, of people like yourself that get behind trends before they are even maybe identified trends. I mean, you know, myself, I got involved in blogging before we were talking about blogging. Uh, certainly the, the uh, um, you know, the ride-sharing trends there, or the just the, you know, the sharing trend, the shareable economy, you know, kind of stuff. <clears throat> Would you say that, that generally speaking, we, you know, in hindsight, we all look at, pe- look at people that get involved in those, and a lot of times it's like, boy, they had some great forethought. Would you say, generally speaking, um, luck is probably a bigger role in the success of people that get involved in trends? Well, you know, I I wouldn't call it luck, but I wouldn't also call it that much foresight either. I mean, if I were to honestly ask you, why did you start blogging? Your answer is probably very similar to mine. I think we probably started pretty similar time frames. I mean, I was in 2004. You were probably right around then, too. That's correct, yeah. Um, and, you know, if I asked you, like, why did you start, you probably would have the same answer as me, which is, hey, I was just curious about it, and I tried it out. <laughs> and, and I, I want, there's yeah, a, yeah. And know, I, there's I, a personality type there, right, yeah. which is someone who's curious enough to actually try something. And then you and me both ended up sticking with it, and it's done a lot for our professional careers and connecting with audiences. But in the beginning, you know, you or I didn't sit there in 2004 and think, you know what, this thing's going to be really big. I need to get into this right now. Exactly. But we were curious. Yeah. So in, in, um, before we get into some of the actual trends that you've identified in this uh, edition, I, I wonder if you could set the table for, you know, I, th- I think it's, <laughs> I hate to, I was trying to stay away from the word obvious, but um, I'm going to use it here. Um, you know, I think there's some obvious opportunities that sometimes come from these trends, but I think there are also a lot of people that have to kind of bend their mind around their industry or their thinking to take advantage of a, a trend, you know, maybe in a way that they can apply to their business. Um, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about, you know, how we have to, rather than just getting in the, to these and saying, oh, isn't that neat? Um, he's, you know, he, he's sure onto something here. You know, how could we take, for, I'll, I'll use an example. You, you have a, the, this uh, comedy club uh, that is uh, charging by the laugh. Um, yep. and, and, you know, the trend in that, of course, is just a, maybe a whole new way in which to, um, to charge for services to monetize opportunities, but if I'm, you know, an industry that's not a comedy club, you know, how can I start thinking about you know that trend or any of the trends that you identify? Yeah, I think that one of the um, challenges that you're sort of latching onto here is, well, you know, look, if you're telling me about a trend that is a, you know, we tend to oftentimes think of trends as like here's a retail trend, here's a financial trend, here's a right. healthcare trend, and when we put that lens on it, then it immediately says. Uh, it helps us to say to ourselves, oh, that's not for me. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I 
advise every group to do, and I've you know gone out and spoken to everything from you know, financial advisors to uh, paint industry professionals who sell paint. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a very wide-reaching audience that I go out and talk about uh, these trends to. And one of the things that I tell them right away is, look, think outside of the space that you know. And, you know, the best analogy I can use for that is if you walked into one of those airport bookstores where they have all of those magazines and all the uh, books there, and you went directly to a section that you've never gone to and picked up a magazine that you've never even imagined reading and bought it. You know, so let's say for me, for example, I would buy like a magazine geared towards like teenage girls where right. it's got like Justin Bieber on the cover. Right, right. And I bought that and I started flipping through it. All of a sudden, I would start to see what ads are being targeted to that audience. I'd start to see how the articles are written towards that audience. And I understand something about a completely different audience than myself. Maybe even the products that were in there and the colors that they used. I mean, yeah, everything exactly. about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I would notice things that probably people in that demographic wouldn't notice because it would be so foreign for me. Yeah. But that's yeah. part of. I mean, I want people to take that mental, that exact um, analogy, and use that as a mental exercise, right? To get themselves out of their own business because that's where sometimes the most powerful ideas come from, right? Like the the iconic post-it note moment where the guy's trying to create a super strong glue and instead he creates the glue that's on a post-it note, which is the opposite of super strong, right? Yeah, yeah. Peel it off and put it back on. And that sort of stuff, that sort of serendipity only comes from imagining solutions to problems and questions that you're not asking. Well, and I, I think you can apply that even to the world of consulting. I mean, I know in my world, a lot of times people, you know, they're in a healthcare business or something and they want to know what experience I have in the healthcare industry and and you know at times particularly when I have none you know I've said I have none and that's good for you because I'm not going to bring the same old you know the same old thinking and uh, same old no this is how we do it and I think that that uh, uh, I think you can apply that lens in a lot of ways yeah, and I think you know all of our work is a reflection of who we are right and yeah. so you know, for me over my past books like I've you know I've written about why leaders need to be likable and about the future of healthcare and now I'm writing about the future, yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I have wide interests as well. So you have uh, 15 trends that you go into pretty deeply, and I, uh, obviously we don't have the time to cover them all, but there's a couple I thought maybe I'd uh, um, point out because uh, they're, they're some of my favorites and see if you could talk a little about those. The, yeah. re the reluctant marketer, obviously I need to know more about that one. <laughs> Yeah, the reluctant marketer is a, is a great one, and I, I figured you'd, you'd enjoy that one particularly. <laughs> um, you know, the, the reluctant marketer is kind of based on this idea that we respect and trust marketing that does more than just promote something, and rather educates us or entertains us mm -hmm. or provides some sort of value beyond selling. And so for marketers or for any small business, the idea here is how do you bake the marketing into the value that you offer rather than treating marketing and the actual value as two different things. Yeah. And so obviously content marketing has a big role to play in this. And so that's kind of, this is sort of a macro idea that encompasses why content marketing has become so uh, popular right now as a topic for people to look at because content marketing is about this idea of being substantial instead of insubstantial. 
Yeah, you know, it's funny. I like to use examples. I have I have kids in their 20s, and so, you know, it's fun, it's always fun to hear what they think is really great marketing. I mean, and what's funny about it is, is it's usually they don't I, – I don't say they don't know they're not being marketed to. They don't mind being marketed to by marketing that is useful, entertaining, that they can be a part of. It's engaging. And, and so it's really interesting to see that mindset, particularly from that generation. Yeah, totally true. Um. How about small data? Uh, obviously, everybody's talking about big data. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> yep. This is a, you know this is one of those places where it's my chance to you know live up to the title of the book and, and be a little bit non obvious and yeah. point out uh, kind of a big movement that's happening right now among people who actually consume and try and develop uh, insights from data. And the small data concept is something that actually a number of people are starting to talk about in the analyst world, which is basically the idea of collecting and using only the data you need instead of trying to boil the ocean with yes. data. Yeah, and, and I wonder sometimes when, when you know you talk about this idea of big data and in some ways you know people feel like it gives them lots of insight, but I, I think it also uh, – don't you have the ability to, to be uh, way off the mark? <laughs> because yes. you know, because because if you're dealing with lots and lots of numbers and lots and lots of variables, that the you know some sort of math formula works against you in there to to make you you know three thousand times off. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> there is uh, there's definitely the danger to completely misread the information and yeah. end up in a vastly wrong place right. for sure. So I want to add one. Uh, I want to cover one more, and I think this one's been going on for a while. But I think you're you're suggesting that it still has a ways to go and that's this idea of glanceable content um you know i've been using when we started blogging and uh doing things uh, um you know twitter obviously came around and people started talking about uh, snack size uh content but um how is glanceable content different than just smaller amounts of content yeah i think well um smaller amounts of content which we've definitely heard a lot about kind of says that it's the, the underlying message, I think, of smaller content is people are not humanly um, able to digest long-form content anymore. And I, I don't actually think that's true. Nope. Um, I think what the idea behind glanceable content is we are much more discerning about where we choose to spend our time. And so your headlines and the way you introduce your content has to be understandable at a glance. But if that glance captures our attention mm-hmm. and if it's something that actually helps us, we may save it for later, or we may consume it right there. But we could spend a lot of time with it. The yeah, challenge got to be glance friendly in the beginning. Yeah, and and I think that goes uh, greatly towards the trends you're seeing in uh, visualized data, in in um, you know uh, content that uh, resides inside of an image. I mean, some of those things I think are, are great examples of glanceable content. Yeah, and I think you know also it's uh, I mean the headline. Let's not underestimate the importance of the headline to get people into something or a subject line of an email. Yeah, so um, let's talk a little bit about your curation process. I, I would really love to hear uh, because you spent a significant amount of this book uh, or the of the book itself uh, talking about uh, the the years of of you know kind of building these trend reports uh, because i uh, as you said at the outset um, you're you're having a lot of fun kind of teaching people this methodology yeah and you know in the book what i talk about is five specific habits that i think any of us can develop in order to learn how to collect and uh, save ideas better and so you know one of them we kind of already talked about which is being curious it's right. always asking questions asking why another one is being observant which is learning how to see the things that other people miss 
um, the patterns in our everyday life. And that's basically, you know, being more observant is not really that difficult. It's just about kind of picking your head up, not looking at your phone when you're walking yeah. down the street, and just kind of noticing things that you don't pay attention to typically. Yeah. And it's funny, though. Are those... Um I, I, I'm sure people can become more of both of those things, but would you say that some people just are more inherently curious and more inherently observant? I think we're all born that way, right? I mean, yeah. you know, us who have kids, like, yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we surprise ourselves because we're like, oh, we never even noticed that. I mean, my you know, son the other day was singing the uh, Itsy Bitsy Spider song, which he's sung for many years, and then, like, randomly, he just kind of asked me, he goes, Daddy, what's a water spout? Huh? Right, so he just kind of figured out that he actually didn't know what that was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. We don't think funny. about that that's stuff. That's funny. Um, so, so yeah, so being observant definitely is a, is kind of the second one. Yeah. Uh, the third one might actually surprise people. It's uh, called being fickle, and we don't tend to see f- being fickle as a positive thing. Usually, we see fickle people as not being very loyal, as not being mm. able to focus on stuff. But for me, when it comes to ideas, being fickle means that you learn to move on. You don't dwell on one thing for too long, which is actually something we should all learn how to do. Yeah, and I I guess as you're trying to maybe adapt to trends, uh, one of the things you have to be able to do, as you said, is is to give up on the old, is to start trying new. I, I remember when... When all this online stuff really took off, there were some marketers that I had studied uh, that were, you know, for lack of a better word, were kind of my uh, virtual mentors. And a lot of them failed to pick up on blogging and email marketing and social media, um, and I want to say in some ways until it was too late. Yeah, that's right, because we, um, you know, we don't necessarily, uh, I mean, that part of it is a human resistance to change, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Necessarily see what's around the corner. So, yeah, Absolutely. Um, and you know the last two are uh, being thoughtful, which is taking time to think, yeah. um, and being elegant. And being elegant for me, you know, being an English major, it's sort of about like how you say things and whether they are said in in beautiful ways. And the reason why that matters is because the more you take time to describe in a in an elegant way what you do or what you stand for, the more likely people are to remember that. Yeah. And I think that you're seeing some examples of people using some of these tools out there, I think, to to put together. I came across a um, – you're familiar with Medium, of course. Um, and I came across uh, somebody's um, expose, basically, about you know this big change they were making in their life. And, I mean, it had this incredible – Images, incredible quotes, a very you know well written, and it was very long. Um, it, you know, I probably uh, I probably spent an hour uh, going through it, and and I that's I, I think when you say you know people aren't willing to read long form content, I think they're willing to read anything and sp- and stay with anything that keeps their attention. Yes, yeah, I think uh, I think that's right. So let's talk about some of the duds. Um, you you have surely over the course of your uh, predicting some of these trends, uh, come up with some that just ne- either never flourished or maybe immediately went a different direction uh, because a new trend came along. Are there some that you want to shed some light on? That because uh, I know that you you do spend some time uh, in in your assessment of being brutally honest about your past performance. I do, yeah. And actually, there's a pretty detailed appendix at the at the end of the book that goes through every year of previous trend report and talks about each trend 
with a description of what the trend was and a grade for whether it is still applicable or not. Yeah. Um, and I think one of them that, uh, that I predicted back in 2011, just based on the direction everything was going in, was what I called the appification of the web. So mm-hmm. kind of the idea that all of these things we used to use the internet for were now moving into apps. And it was kind of based on this concept that, oh, we're just going to have an app for everything and we won't even need the internet, right? Yeah, yeah. Wired magazine cover stories about the death of the internet. Yeah, and I remember that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then what ended up happening was responsive design came along and people realized that they could actually design websites for any size device, whether it's a tablet or a um, mobile phone or anything. And uh, the app, though still useful, actually wasn't the be all and end all. It was actually more about making a customized experience for any size screen. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that one was, you know, looked like it was totally going to be like such a huge thing, um, and then it kind of changed. Um, and so that's kind of one interesting example where, even though it seemed like it was right at the time, uh, over a very rapid kind of next couple of years, it evolved in a different direction. Well, and I think that's a great point too because. A lot of times, these, what we recognize as trends are really just a reaction to what uh, to people doing something the way they want to do it. And is, if if in another industry can come along and say, "Oh, that's all they really want," well, then I'll create. You know, in this case, you said responsive design. That wasn't necessarily an industry, but you know, a competitor or an industry can come along and say, "Well, here's what they actually wanted to do. That's why they're you know gravitating towards this trend." And I think that's that's probably the, where the magic happens, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And I think, you know, the other thing is um, uh, there's a reason why I do this trend report every year. Um, And part of it is that uh, even as much as we talk about, I know you talk about long-term strategy for business and Mm -hmm. I certainly talk about it, but Mm -hmm. even long-term decisions are made in the short term based on the information we have right now. Yeah, yeah. And so for me, like, if I can put this lens on what's happening right now to inform people's decision right now, and if you can get better at understanding the now in order to power your decisions, then you have the best information that is possible at the moment and you have enough to act on. Yeah. So um, you have, uh, I discovered, a, a great slide share <laughs> for this book. Um, so uh, we'll put that in the in the show notes. But is there anywhere else you want to uh, send folks to find out more about you and your work and obviously your books? Yeah, in fact, uh, you can actually get access to a uh, pretty extensive collection of slideshows for every trend report uh, mm. in the past, as well as um, details on how to download each one of them completely for free, uh, plus an 82-page excerpt for this new book, all at nonobviousbook.com. Awesome. Well, Rohit, it's always good to catch up with you, and uh, wish you the best of luck, and hopefully we'll see you soon out there on the road. That would be great. Thanks. Thanks.